What's up, everybody? This is Alex Worldwide Keller, and you're listening to The Card is Going to Change. And let me tell you about one of our beautiful, amazing, gracious, and awesome sponsors. That's right. It's Pollyanna DIY at Pollyanna DIY on Twitter, on Instagram. Go to PollyannaDIY.com, and you can get all sorts of amazing buttons, shirts, pins, the whole kit and caboodle. That's right, PollyannaDIY.com. But now, let's take it to the reason that you hit download, the reason that you are streaming. That's right, the card is going to change. Hello once again, everybody. Thanks for listening to AIW's The Card is Going to Change. Before we get into this week's episode, as always, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors that help us bring the show to you for free each and every week. Firstly, thanks to Angelo's Pizza. They're feeding us here as they always do while we record, and they, of course, bring pizza to you at our live events at Mount Carmel. If you want to try more of their pizza or anything else on their menu, it's all delicious. Head to Angelo's on Madison Avenue in Lakewood, Ohio. And thanks to Smart Mark Video, they record all of our live events. And if you want to relive any of those or watch them for the first time, you can purchase that on DVD or digital download from smartmarkvideo.com. And additionally, head to powerbomb.tv, sign up using the code ABSOLUTE, and you will get a 20-day trial for free. And then stick around and just keep watching the shows that we put out there from the AIW archives. And as always, thanks to Jack Prince, who helps take care of all of our printing and graphic design needs. They can do all of that and more for you, whether it be banners, t-shirts, business cards, flyers, everything and anything. For all that they have to offer, head to jackprince.com. J-A-K-Prince.com. Ah, yes. That voice right there. Uh, A familiar one, maybe, to AIW fans. Uh, especially those who come to all of our shows, or if you have watched Cleveland wrestling in the last decade plus, none other than the man known as Joshua Prohibition. Joshua. He, yeah, I want to give him a full name. I want to give him a full name on this. Thank you. Uh, he joins us here on this podcast along with, uh, well, I guess a contingent of sorts. I'm sure somebody will ask questions or chime in at some point in time. Uh, Dr. Dan is here. Uh, worldwide is in the room. Worldwide. Kaplan's in here listening in. Hey, what's up, guy? <laughs> and of course, AIW owner John Thorne, as always. Hey, my name is Steve Guy, your moderator of sorts. And uh, J-Pro, it's been a while, buddy. It has been a while. I want to I want to start off by correcting you, Steve Guy. Uh-oh. You said uh, a decade and a half. It's it's I, coming up on 20 years this April. I said decade plus. I, I in my I didn't want to say years of stupidity. Wow. John and I have been involved in. So I uh I, I I was thinking about that the other day and how ridiculously 
cool slash stupid that is that this is almost- yeah because 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 you reminded me that it was the twenty years because I thought it was only nineteen no it was uh, April what was it twenty something nineteen ninety nine twenty fourth twenty fourth nineteen ninety nine extreme teenage violence right is that how it's advertised hardcore teenage violence yes <laughs> I almost got expelled from school for that. <laughs> yeah, I think because uh, Columbine happened four days earlier. Yeah, it was pretty bad timing on their part. They didn't consult with us before <laughs> yeah. they uh, yeah. did what they did. But uh, I remember getting a kind of a desperate phone call from John about uh, the venue that we were running at that time. St. Mike's was uh, very concerned after the Columbine incident with the uh, the flyers that were being passed around that and, were advertising. And the, I believe uh, I believe a local wrestler had called and said something about a shooting may occur. Shut up. <laughs> do you remember that? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember that. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of jealousy back in 1999. It was very territorial in Cleveland, so everybody was out to get everybody. But yeah, he uh, he had put in a, an anonymous call that uh, we were essentially part of the trench coat mafia, and that oh. uh, the violence that was witnessed in you know Columbine was coming to St. Michael's Hall in Broadview Heights, Ohio, and the flyers were being passed around the say it <laughs> so so nice. i think uh i think i was the only one at that point that was uh, a legal adult and uh i think john had mentioned that maybe it would be a good idea to see if i can go over there and sweet talk them so i uh, i put on my sunday best and moseyed on <laughs> to uh saint michael's and uh i remember speaking with uh, a gentleman there that was in charge of it i think it was grosh's uh uh grandpa yeah it was like yeah it was like yeah, an old it guy it was like macho grosh's grandpa and uh i i I I spoke as intelligently as I possibly could to uh, try to try to condi- confirm that uh, in, we in fact were not going to uh, to shoot the place up, and thankfully the uh, the show the show went on. Do you think? Uh, I would I would I guess that that's probably what changed your life forever because then you know that footage kind of lived on for quite some time. Yeah, um, you know I think the uh, you know the coolest thing that came out of that besides being in a wrestling ring for the very first time um, was that, uh, you know, JT Lightning obviously had uh, done the ring rental. and uh, Which I would never rent my ring to a 15-year-old kid, <laughs> ever. So don't even think yeah. about it. Still mind-boggling. He, to he, was, he was always in it to make that money. So uh, three, You got 300 bucks? Cool, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> and he gives you a match, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. And you, had, you had to give him a match. Yeah, him and the bad boy, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, JT, you know, watched our uh, our ridiculous match and it was a a three-way dance between myself m dog 20 and uh my brother at that time creeping death and uh after the match i remember you know uh jt kind of coming up to us and telling us you know that we were very athletic but we were going to kill ourselves in the ring um but i i i know that uh mr kitties (laughs) that's crazy going crazy I got, got nervous. All excited. I was going to have to catch that plaque that John Thorne has. No, but up I, was, there. I was talking about before. I, I mean, I thought this was a, I thought this was a one-time deal. Like you know that we would never have the opportunity to rent a wrestling ring ever again. I thought there was no chance that a 15-year-old would be rented a ring again. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think so either. <laughs> so I mean, uh, I remember we just went balls to the wall. And, and the the funny thing about that match is, like again, we had no training whatsoever, so we had no idea what working was or how to work. So right. Uh, we went out there and we had not talked about a single move 
a finish how long we were going to go. We didn't discuss any of it. Because you didn't even know how to put any of it together. We just went out H- there. How did you guys figure it out in the backyard? And those, yeah. like, Did you guys just go and then usually, figure it out along the way? I mean, usually every single backyard match ended with Matt jumping off of the roof or something lit on fire, and that was always kind of the go home. Uh, but we never would really discuss the finish. It was kind of one of those things that we would go until we couldn't physically go anymore. Right. And at that point, somebody would say, okay, this is it. And uh, that's typically how we planned in those days. And we did the same thing for that first match. And uh, again, we thought it was a, a one-off, uh, and it turned into a, a career after JT offered to train us uh, pretty shortly after that. There's no way that this podcast is possibly going to be able to go linearly. We're going to bounce all over the place. Yeah, pro- sure. okay, probably. We yeah. waited forever to get uh, I know. Mr. Prohibition. Every, every week I here. hear the Duke on here before <laughs> You finally had enough, Tw- huh? 20 years of service, and it takes me... Uh, how long has this thing been going? A couple years now? Two yeah. years, yeah. Son of a... Well, you well, know, I don't want to bother you. You're, you're, you got a career, you got a family. Two, more than two years. Actually, uh, this... We have surpassed my two-year anniversary wow. as the moderator of Swords on the show. You're always you got, going to the zoo. Yeah. You got all stuff, kinds of stuff I going know. on. You know what? I'm, uh, I got so, yeah. the oh, hot yeah. sausage company was actually Slivka contacted me tonight. He wants to make some sausage. So you could, we got to get our hands on some. You could tell soon. we're sitting in a room full of Josh Prohibition fans because every single one of them just said something different that you do as a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, yeah, I'm trying to be a modern day Renaissance man. I, Woodworking. Yeah, that you are. So. Uh, so the heck was I going? I don't know. Where are we going? Well, moderator? we talked about backyard wrestling, and I think that's a, a huge thing to hit on because that's yeah a big misconception. Uh, I, I think the big misconception with I I know that you've discussed it before, but you guys didn't do that many backyard shows, right? Everybody uh, thinks that you were doing that for years. I rem- I, I will I remember what, the first time I got my hands on it was uh, your younger brother Stephen, sensitive Stephen. We we were in the same grade. Uh, <laughs> And I had found out that I can rent this wrestling ring somehow, you know, through the internet and, uh, you know, early, like, very, 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 like, just native, like, websites or whatever. JT yeah. Lightning had, like, a phone number that said, just call this number. Uh, so I was like, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna do a wrestling show. Like, fuck it. This guy's going to rent me the ring. And Steve, your brother Steve was like, oh, you got to see this tape. You got to see this tape, and it was like a tape of all your matches, and then, uh, then his friends did their own backyard matches as well. So like, I got these two tapes, and like one was like you and M Dog, and then the other one was like uh, <laughs> this guy Jim Olaf, Ranger Jim, <laughs> Ranger Jim, Ranger Jim, <laughs> and uh, you know, I'll, I'll, like that's how. I guess that's how like wrestling was working back then. It was like who who were the, were doing the best backyard stuff, and then you know, yeah. And I mean, I you know when you talk about kind of the misconception, I'm not exaggerating when I say that you know between Matt and my brother and I, we probably had maybe seven total backyard matches. Uh, that was about it, you know. And and thankfully, you did get a hold of that tape and offered us a chance to get in the ring because. I think I even said it on Cabana's podcast. Like, I thought besides the WWE, the only thing that ever existed as far as professional wrestling was in Japan. So I thought there was no, I, I had no concept of indie wrestling. I wasn't hip to the internet yet. You know, I had no, you know, no idea that anything else existed outside of, uh, you know, WWE, ECW, and uh, what was going on in Japan. So I, I didn't even think the, the opportunity would ever present itself. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it, it kind of happened really fast and it was really strange. It, it, I, I believe everybody had to pay. Twenty dollars to wrestle on the show, and then so we could co- so we could figure out a way to cover cover the ring rental 
and we rented the you know i don't know how much the hall was like uh and probably like two or three hundred bucks as well yeah uh so like it was just like a bunch of people from high school uh and then uh you and then pat flint matt wadsworth was involved because i yeah, knew him yeah. and uh everyone just kind of put their money together and we like i don't know we like booked this card that made no sense nobody was trained <laughs> and uh you know from there we kind of got hooked up with this other group that was doing the exact same thing efw uh which then you know resulted in more matches happening in wrestling rings totally untrained uh and then you know that footage kind of took on a life of its own for you i, I would imagine yeah so i uh two things that popped in my head when you were talking the first was um the other day i was driving with uh, mark valley who did go to high school with john and i and was in john's class at brexville um we were driving over to kentaro the all you can eat sushi place over on ridge road yeah, yeah. if you can get an endorsement there i'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd be over the moon uh, amazing uh, amount of sushi that i can consume in one sitting but anyway we were driving over uh, by ridge road there and we drove by a mcdonald's there right on ridge road and Mark Valley is the one that smartened me up. And he said, hey, remember 20 years ago when we met for the first Extreme Independent Wrestling, which was the name of your promotion? Yeah, meeting? that was like the first meeting. It was at a McDonald's where, dining room. <laughs> where you collected the money, you know, so that we could, uh, we could give JT the money for this ring rental. Because um, he wanted it in advance. <laughs> yeah. Smart man. The one thing, uh, the one thing about that match, and I, I, before I jump into some of the footage and what ended up happening with that, um, I remember... I, st I was in the ring first, and then my brother Dave came down. And if anybody bro knows my brother Dave, Creeping Death, uh, he's a scary human being. Um, and in the back, you know, his character was a very dark one. It was kind of like The Undertaker, you know, if you added way more Satan. And uh, so my brother Dave <laughs> decides that he's going to come to the ring, but he has a deer skull that he found in the woods. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so he's coming to the ring, and he's got a legit deer skull. Like, that's what he's walking to the ring with. Cleaned it or anything, or just picked it up? And oh, just straight off the, the, the floor. And uh, so here he comes into the ring, and he's got this look in his eye. And when he gets that look in the eye, you got to be careful, because, like, you don't know if he knows it's a work or if he's, you know, if he's yeah. crossed over into a darker place. <laughs> And uh, so he's coming to the ring with a deer skull, and I was like, good God, what's he going to do with that thing? You know, like, he better not hit me with that thing. <laughs> so he, as he's coming in the ring, just hauls off and throws it as hard as he possibly can. Uh, but another kid from high school, Matt Snyder, was right in front of him with the hard cam. And this skull hits Matt Snyder square in his skull. <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating. To this day, this kid has, like, some kind of lump on oh, his head yeah. from the deer skull that rocked him when he was trying to videotape this show. Uh, but again, it was uh, it was one of the more memorable uh, creeping death moments. Worldwide here, piping in. I have a very important question about this deer skull. Shoot. Did you save it afterwards and maybe boil it for broth or... I am a fan of the bone broth, but uh, no, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, the floor didn't seem like the most sanitary, sanitary at that point, so I, I did leave the skull. What I remember about that, though, is that clip was in like every best of backyard commercial <laughs> yeah yeah so the so the the video company that eventually uh you know essentially has a sign off rights to the uh the video footage that we made uh yeah they used that clip and and i think the reason they used it because that look in the eye i was talking about that he had where it really looked like he had crossed over into that dark place where he wanted to kill somebody uh and again yeah he had that serial killer look and he almost killed matt snyder with a deer skull yeah that was i remember that was in every single one of those commercials yeah. uh yeah so like from from that you know we get hooked up with this other group and we're doing more shows and uh basically w 
what it is is like it's like this kind of what our idea was but it was kind of way turned up and it was not getting people from one high school but this group was grabbing people from all the different high schools in the area and then like there would be like one wrestler or a couple wrestlers from all these different high schools right and then they would sell tickets to the entire high school where they went to to see them wrestle and then these shows kind of become a melting pot for all these different teenagers and you know they're some of them are drawing you know five to a thousand five hundred to a thousand people yeah it was an incredible uh business model and the owner's name had been uh john rotten and uh (laughs) you know uh it was kind of the same uh same gimmick where everybody that wanted to wrestle would pay to wrestle but then you were also required to sell a certain number of tickets in order to wrestle on top of having to pay to wrestle what a great plan Uh, yeah it was an amazing plan and i remember one show in particular and i just thought about it the other day it was called a millennium combat 1999 that was the big one that was the biggest one yeah for this uh promotion it was called extreme futuristic wrestling which was the worst possible you got the poster there it is it is the <laughs> worst possible wrestling name you could possibly come up with uh but anyway they drew at least a thousand people that show and i remember i mean probably 300 of them for, from brexville high school right oh yeah easily. that was just uh that was one it was like that boom time and uh well that, it was also when wrestling was very popular it's attitude era ecw and you know you like it, when you're a teenager you could get you could get a hundred people to show up anywhere on a Friday night. So like yeah. you get multiple teenagers from multiple different places and you know, you're getting a lot of people showing up and you know, uh, I think tickets were like five bucks or something to get in five or seven bucks. Yeah. He's still, uh, he had to clean up between the, uh, Oh, I'm the, sure. The ticket sales. Cause like I, you were probably the only one that even thought about that. Cause you were a little bit older than everybody else, but nobody, everyone else just wanted to be wrestlers, but nobody was thinking where, where would, where did the money go? Yeah, I think we were we were the only ones that did not have to pay to wrestle. I think you know that was one thing that we we negotiated that we said we wouldn't pay. <laughs> we're not, we were getting paid for the incredible danger and risks that we were taking, but, uh, but you at also least we paying did, to do it. At least yeah. we didn't have have to pay. And in those days, I I think everybody or every match, at least one of us had to go to the hospital for some reason, either stitches or staples or. Um, so yeah, I mean it was a it was a costly time for us when you guys were first even doing like the backyard wrestling or anything else like the different avenues that it ended up taking you down were you just thinking we're just going to be idiots and do this stuff or did you think that this whole world would open up to you I, there was there wasn't a world for it before you guys I mean yeah am I correct in saying that like yeah so I mean uh, there was backyard wrestling before but it didn't it didn't exist like it wasn't right. a world yeah. yeah like this was there, I mean we our motivation was boredom i mean there was no like big picture for it right it was uh punk rock teenage kids that loved ecw that were bored to death and i had just hurt my shoulder in baseball and couldn't play that anymore so i was slightly depressed uh so it's just kind of go in the backyard and and do it and there wasn't a lot you know not going on in brexville no it's a it's a retirement community um you know so at that point you know, our, our idea was just to just to do it and then watch it and just die laughing when we saw the stupidity. Um, but uh, one of my buddies, Frank, and I think I talked about this on Cabana's deal. Like he he put a website together for us, and at that time, like I said, I was so dumb to the internet, I had no concept of how it worked. But yeah. he was telling us how you could put video clips up there. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, how <laughs> did, like what you know what what reality are we living in? Anyway, he put the video clips up on uh, the site, and then that's when I got contacted by uh, Backyard Wrestling Incorporated out in California. And, uh, you know, they asked for a copy. We sent them our, our only stuff. We didn't have a lot. So we sent them all our stuff. And they, they called back very quickly and said, hey, this is the best stuff we've seen from the whole country. And I thought they were BSing. 
Right. That um, seems, that's got to seem crazy to you. Yeah. Especially not trained. Yeah. And I mean, I'm 19, Matt's 17 at that time. Or yeah, I was 18 and 16 or 18 and 17, you know, him and I. Yeah. And uh, they said, hey, want to fly out? You know, uh, Rolling Stone magazine wants to do a, a pictorial shoot and, you know, an interview. Next thing you know, we're on a plane, you know, going to, to California to do this like uh, interview with Rolling Stone magazine. And they show us the other footage that they have. And it was awful. You know, so we're like, wow, it actually is. It actually is way better than the other crap that you guys, you know, you guys have. And I think, uh, you know, because Matt and I had the ability to put a, a full sentence together, uh-huh. you know, I, I think that helped because all of a sudden they're like, okay, these guys are decent at it, and you know, they're fairly well spoken. So these are our poster boys. You know, so right. at that point, you know, the the promotional tour began and you know every tv show every every magazine yeah what were you on you you guys were on like jenny jones oprah, 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 right? oprah winfrey yeah. jenny jones paula's on the edge uh i was supposed to go on ricky lake and fake like i had a girlfriend that was really upset and at the last moment they pulled the show but i still got to fly to new york because they had bought the ticket morality court right uh, yeah moral court uh you know all the local news stations la pool party which was like a show from england that flew over here and then there was another show from england called passengers that followed me around for a legit week and they set up cameras like in my house and in my car and they like followed me around like it was going to be some extravagant thing because i was this backyard wrestler and basically they followed me to work in college and i was like this isn't that as exciting as you guys <laughs> thought, thought yeah. it was going to be but are you thinking uh at this point, are you thinking like this is it? I'm I'm gonna be oh, huge. Hundred percent. I mean, and I'm the, gonna be rich and famous. Yeah, and the, I mean, the other thing, I was being told that you know uh, we give money to those that give blood, and they were talking about how the big paydays come and the big paydays come and the big paydays coming. Yeah, and I mean, we're on Oprah, and we're going in Rolling Stone magazine, right. and Spin magazine, and, and this that, is also probably like right around the time of like the jackass boom and like sure. mtv sure. you know yeah. like really getting Absolutely. into this weird yes. stuff it was in that same it was like that perfect storm of you know people wanting to see stupidity and uh yeah i mean i was i was promised the moon and uh years went by and i mean then they eventually you know make that backyard wrestling video game right and uh you know and i start to see the writing on the wall that that payday is not coming yeah, you do know? you see anything from the video game yeah i got paid for shooting the cover i got paid for going to japan to promote it i got paid to go to england and promote it um but i didn't actually get paid for the video game um so they just basically took my likeness and my character and then they uh and i got paid to do the voiceovers which actually was really fun um yeah they put me and m dog in a sound booth and they're like all right pretend like you're getting hurt and uh (laughs) you know at first we're just like oh ah oh but we're like this sucks matt chop me as hard as you possibly can you know so at that point we just started hauling off and you know just smacking the hell out of each other because it was like oh this is going to get more you know realism into the uh yeah. to the noises that we're doing so thankfully we got paid for some of the supplemental stuff but we uh we never actually got paid you know for the actual video game or which, the or the footage right no um we made our own video it was called uh, a passion for pain which was basically just us only mm-hmm. and um I think we got 15 grand for that um, between Matt and I, you know? So, I mean, at that time it seemed like a decent chunk of money, but uh, in retrospect, um, you know, kind of when we had a falling out, we saw the actual numbers that their videos and stuff. Based on how much they sold and stuff. Yeah. And it was uh, remarkable how much, uh, how much was made. You know, when you think about those late night, you know, commercials that were running on Howard Stern and they were selling those VHS tapes for 1999. Yeah. Um, 
you know. And I think everybody in that era that knew anything, liked wrestling at all, had had a copy of that. Yeah, and everybody everybody knew, you know, what it was and what it was about. And uh, you know, I in retrospect, would I have done a lot of the promotional stuff again? I don't know. You know, like I I had mixed feelings about it. Like you know, for on Oprah, for example. so I was told that Oprah's theme for that day was going to be um, extreme sports. Uh-huh. You know, that's what the producers told me. And I said, that sounds cool. You know, they, they mentioned like bungee jumping, skateboarding, like the, and I'm like, okay, backyard wrestling. Like X Games. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what they, that's how they sold it to me. And I mean, so they flew me, my parents, my brothers out there to Chicago, oh, wow. you know, put us up in a hotel, limo to and from the place. So we go over to Oprah and, you know, we sit down in the audience and all of a sudden it's like, a mom talking about how her kid got his throat slit in a public bathroom. Jesus. Next guest, uh, they're they're doing that chubby bunny game where they shove marshmallows in their mouth, say yeah. chubby bunny, kid chokes to death. So you got this mom weeping, you know, this mom's weeping. And then they're going down the line. And it's like the most horrific stuff you could possibly imagine. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, Josh, so you backyard wrestling, huh? You do backyard wrestling? I'm like, oh, wow, is this a setup or what? Yeah. And, um, and here's the thing that really upset me about that show. I... Uh, I, I gave very intelligent, well thought out answers to all of her questions, and she did not like me. And uh, the frustrating thing was, after the fact, I got excited to watch it because I held my own, and I felt like in some cases I even made her look bad with some of my responses. You know, for example, like um, a few weeks before I went on there, she had a Vander Holyfield on, you know, the, the former oh, yeah. champ. And this was right around the Tyson era where they had like the ear biting and all that other crazy yeah. stuff. So, anyway, um, she was praising him, you know, as this amazing role model, an amazing person. And I brought that up and I was like, listen, like you have Vander Holyfield on, this guy's punching another man in the face, trying to render him unconscious. And he's a hero and I'm a villain because of that. Like we got a bunch of buddies in my backyard putting on a violent stunt show, you know, and the worst thing that happens is when we get hurt, but you praise a guy that's purposely trying to hurt other individuals. So like, what's the difference, you know? Not one minute of that has ended up on the show. And they actually, the way that they cut it. <laughs> I don't know why. The way that they cut it was they would like take an answer from one place and put it to a different question. Mm-hmm. And then there was a couple times where they would ask questions and they cut to like footage of me look, you know, staring off into the distance like I didn't have a response. Like they stumped me oh, you know, wow. with, with the question. Oh, boy. And I was just like, son of a gun. Because I told all my buddies like, watch Oprah, man. I owned Oprah. Like, you know, like, <laughs> and then you know, I didn't look bad on it, but I didn't look like I should have. You know, right. Like based on my responses. And the other thing was funny, like, so we're going down the line and, uh, you know, she's shaking all the mom's hands uh, and she gets to me and completely like dodges me like a heel when he comes out and goes to shake the little kid's oh, yeah. hand and like goes through that. She basically did that to me. Like she no sold my shake. <laughs> and uh, I got an autographed coffee mug that I probably should put on eBay, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't the most positive experience, you know. So I did a lot of that stuff, though, you know, trying to promote because I thought that there was going to be a, a, a big payoff, you know. So I, I didn't look at the best in some of those situations, but... You you're, you're trying to be a company guy. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you're 19 years old and they they're flying you out to mansions in California to do Rolling Stone, you know, you think the money's coming and uh it never really came, you know. I got enough to pay for a you know, a semester to a college, but that was about it. And one one thing that, you know, I remember about that time period is it definitely caused like a rift between like you and M Dog and like all the other kind of wrestling people in the in the area. So you guys were kind of forced to deal with all that stuff too yeah it definitely got us a a a bad reputation you know everybody's like backyard or backyard or backyard or you know especially when and i I think i said this in another podcast like it wasn't so much the really good guys like the jerry lynn's or the hamricks or the smothers that were giving us a bunch of crap it was the worst wrestlers would 
you know, like the total hillbilly wrestlers, the guys that were really awful and had been in the same place for 10 years, you know. But they thought they were doing it right. Yeah, yeah, they act, yeah. you know, and it's like, dude, one month into training, I was far better than you would ever be, you know, yeah. and, uh, but yeah, they would give us a bunch of crap for that, and I mean, you know, even some local wrestlers who I, you know, have a decent relationship with now, you know, they they would give me so much grief about it, um, and it's changed a lot, like, wrestling has become a much friendlier it's place. It's way more accepting, I think, now. yeah. I mean, when we first started, it was kind of a scary, and M-Dog and I have this conversation all the time. I remember my first show ever was for, uh, you know, JT Lightning, and this was uh, 99. He actually booked Matt and I in a hardcore match before we even trained. Um, Just off of these other shows. Yeah, so he had been watching us in, in you know, EFW and, and, you know, John's promotion, EIW. Because JT did the ring rentals for all of it. For everybody, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and... Uh, so he booked us, and uh, I, I think back to that locker room. It, you know, it was uh, you know Tommy Rich was in there, uh, Rhino, Balls Mahoney, and I mean, so these are scary men, you right? Know, especially like Tommy Rich. And I remember like, so this is my first time ever in a true professional wrestling locker room. And I mean, half of these guys in there have felonies, you know, on their record, <laughs> at least. Especially the local guys that are there. Yeah, absolutely. These were like scary, grown, 35, 40-year-old men who you, besides like myself and Duke, you know, there's no more 40-year-olds basically <laughs> in wrestling. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to do that stretch where you kind of throw your legs over the back of your head to stretch your lower back. So I'm, yeah. you know, I'm in a bad position. And all of a sudden, I get a, I get a foot on my ass, you know, and it's pushing down hard. And I'm stuck. I'm like in a corner doing this stretch, and I like I can't get up, you know. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I hear this laugh, like, <laughs> and it's Tommy Rich, and he just got his foot on his my ass, and he won't let go. And I'm like, what do you do? It's like, what do you do when Tommy Rich is pinning you down, like and you yeah. cannot physically move? Like, do you fight back? Do you just take it? You know, it's first time in a locker room, and then uh, he just kept laughing, and it was the most. He was probably drunk or on PCP or allegedly something at that time. <laughs> um, so. He uh, he at that point offers me a bit of honey, those awful little chewy oh, yeah, candies, yeah. Okay. and that was it. And he just walked away, just laughing. After he was he just gave, doing it to be funny. Yeah, but I mean, in that kind of situation, you know, it was like I don't know how to behave yet. I've right. never been in a professional wrestling locker room yet. I'm not even trained. And in that same one, I remember one other story from that because you know this is something that stuck with Matt and I, M Dog and I. Um, Bobby Blaze was on that show too, former WCW guy, yeah. and. Uh, him and Balls Mahoney were working in the main event that night or, you know, semi-main. And before the show, they had come up with a rib where JT was going to read off the finishes for everybody's matches. He did it before every show. He would tell you exactly what the finish was and, and scare you, you know, about, you know, the length of your match and how good it needed to be. And uh, he goes over the finish for Bobby and, and, and um, Balls Mahoney. And he says, like, uh, you know, Bobby's going over on Balls, and Balls is like, I'm not putting this piece of shit over. And then, you know, Bobby's like, who you call the piece of shit? And, I mean, these guys were believable. Right. And they start swinging, like swinging for the fences. <laughs> and uh, we all, like, we're all, like, jumping on trying to pull them apart. And then they just start dying laughing. You know, they had worked the whole thing, and they got every single person in the locker room. And JT was like, you mother effers, you know. And, <laughs> but again, it was just this total different vibe where it was like, you watched your P's and Q's. You were scared to death, yeah. you know. And, and that was at the time when it's like, you shake everybody's hand, you look them in the eye, you know. And you, when you say goodbye, you shake everybody's hand, you look them in the eye. Because you really thought, like, if you didn't, somebody would actually kill you. Yeah. And yeah. especially it's got to be weird for you guys coming out of these, like, shows with, that are just teenagers where, like, it was just chaos. 
Yeah, yeah. And no mean, etiquette, no yeah, exactly. anything. There was no, and I mean, and with these teenage shows, there was just so much drama and everybody disliked everybody. Right. And there was all these little clicks and like, you know, so then to go into that and it was just, it was another world and it was eye-opening, you know, it's like, okay, this is, this is a real professional locker room, you who, know, where uh, it's terrifying. Who teaches you the etiquette before you go into a locker room like that? Oh, JT. Um, you know, that sh- before- JT knew what he was getting into, I think, with you guys, right? Like, yeah. You know, he, he, and he certainly knew that you guys did not weren't going to know those things but jt saw I, I think jt saw money in you guys down the line for sure yeah and i mean he came up to us before the show and he's like you know dude 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 and if anybody knows jt he said dude is an adjective a verb a noun like for everything was dude uh but anyway he comes up and he's like dude you know it's like when you go into that locker room you go over to every single person you shake their hand you know, you keep your mouth shut, and then afterwards, you go up to every single person, you shake their hand, you say thank you, you know, you introduce yourself, never say your wrestling name, you say your real name, mm-hmm. you know, so he was like very, and, and if again, if you knew JT, he was super intense, you know, so, I mean, yeah. yes, sir. But, like, he, he was super intense, but, like, he also knew enough and was caring enough to, like, pull you aside and not let you sink either, you know, yeah. like, he would, like, tell you something in an intense way, and then he would probably bust your balls like in front of everybody. For sure. But like he was always good about having those like kind of like secret private little like, hey, you yeah. know, this is how it's really going to go. Yeah. So I, think. I, I think, you know, the best way to, to describe him, you know, in the relationship that I feel like Matt and I and, and you, you know, had was like, it was like an older brother, you know, it's like an older brother can pick on you, but nobody else can. You right. Know? So okay. like, it, yeah. he would protect you, you know, but I yeah. mean, he would bust your balls and sometimes scare you. Get rem- he, yeah. Sometimes you get real scare, mad at you. Scare you real bad, you know, yeah. but at the same time, like when the chips were down, you knew that, you know, he had your back, you know, he was going to look out for you. He was going to try to take care of you. But uh, at the same time, you didn't mess with him. Like he was, he was a scary dude. So like I said, we're, we're going to end up bouncing around in this because I think that's probably the best way to do this. Fast forward almost twenty years later, you are, even though you've had you've been on a hiatus, you are certainly a locker room leader when it comes to AIW. Have been for quite some time. Do you take some of those moments with JT and those teachings of how to act in a locker room, and now you feel like you're kind of that? You know what I mean? Like, do you, do you take any of that in? Yeah, as um, an influence into how you handle the locker room. Uh, parts, yes, and I'll explain. Um, I feel like there's guys that are worth investing uh-huh. in, and okay. then there's guys that are turds. <laughs> okay. And like, if I choose to say something to you or to give you advice or to critique your match, like that's me saying like, I give a crap. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain dudes that I can tell very quickly into a conversation or just meeting them that they're not going to listen to a word I'm going to say and they're going to do their own thing anyway and they don't really have the best attitude and they're not really cool in the locker room. Sure. Like, why am I going to waste my breath? You do, know, you, <laughs> do you think that's generational, though? I was thinking about this the other day. Do you think a lot of that is generational? Like, because you would probably know based on being a teacher to, you know, te- younger yeah. people. Um, You know what? I don't know if it's... If it's just the generation that's causing that or the fact that there isn't a Tommy Rich stepping on your ass when you go to stretch or there's right. not a, a Balls Mahoney there who would kill you. Like, I don't think there's the enforcers anymore that are that kind of strike fear into the hearts of all the wrestlers. Because I think a lot of those guys that would be that from that generation died or dis, you know, disappeared. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and it's yeah, it isn't as uh, you know, is and I, I mean, there's good and bad to that, you know. I, like I, I'm, I still, you know, I'm 20 in now, and I still say hello to everybody when I walk in. You know, I shake right. everybody's hand. I try to say goodbye to everybody. Um, and there is something to that. And I, you know, I, I've said it on other, uh, you know, discussions, and uh, that uh, I'm very average in the ring. Like my actual wrestling ability, I don't do anything cool. You know, I can't do any flips. Like, I don't, I can't, I can't string together sweet combos like Johnny and run the ropes at a million miles per hour. But like, I was a decent wrestler, and I feel like a, like a lot of people genuinely liked me, and mm-hmm. that led to guys like Smothers and Hamrick and Jerry Lynn and you know many other people sticking their neck out and saying, "Hey, book this kid, book this kid, book this kid." You know, so I didn't get bookings, you know, based on my five star matches. You know, yeah, but you also do the very the basic stuff well like yeah very well you know like the but even at that so i like let's rewind again 20 years like at that time when you're solid enough but probably at if you looked at all those matches now you would hate them yeah they suck but you're kind of in that you're kind of in that that early class of indie wrestlers you 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 find your way in that you know that class of you know those cabanas and the punks and uh how do you start traveling like how does what's the first travel booking for you like how does that come to be um jt um first time ever out of town he got me booked for i'm gonna mess up the name it's like xi something in detroit oh, dba yeah. yeah dba's uh xicw yeah and it was at the place where like eminem and the clowns got into some kind of beef didn't somebody get shot or shot at or something oh at that oh at that club yeah yeah Yeah, it was at that club and it was a uh it was a an afternoon show and i went up there uh for a two-minute squash run-in kind of thing where i started a match and all of a sudden a guy named mr meaner who i think was on the jcw kind of stuff yeah probably yeah he did a run in and uh, squashed me for two minutes so i drove up to detroit you know for no pave to get squashed in two minutes i think he was fat fuck barrel boy on the that, JCW. Yeah, yeah that was him yeah <laughs> uh and then we turned around uh stayed with my gear on we drove back to painesville ohio when we did nepw that night um but that was my first time across the state line for wrestling and then uh you know jt definitely helped you know early on and then there was some strange woman um named Jackie and uh this woman showed up out of nowhere and she was hanging around at NEPW which was in Painesville Ohio and- I mean so uh, this is great because Biggins and I used to really try to get the origin story of Jackie because she say, had talked about her on this show before. she had a very memorable but short kind of impact on wrestling in the like Cleveland Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. Yeah. So like 2001 um, at an NEPW show, which was kind of a rival Cleveland All Pro Wrestling show, rival to Cleveland All Pro Wrestling. And that's actually where Matt and I felt like we kind of broke some barriers because we got asked to wrestle for that. And we said something to JT and he's like, no way. And we're like, why? You know, like it's it's an hour away. Like, why can't we wrestle for this promotion? He's like, this is my territory kind of thing, you know. And, um, but he would wrestle there sometimes, and then sometimes yeah, he wouldn't. Was, but eventually, like he let us, and then it seemed like okay, the doors are open. And then MCW for Jeff Traxler, which used to be a rival promotion, all of a sudden we started doing that one as well. So it felt like it was cool because in Cleveland at that time you could wrestle in a weekend three or four different spots in Cleveland. You know, yeah, there was a lot going on, just spread out a little. Yeah, bit. so like, like Traxler was west, JT was downtown, and this was east side. But anyway, so Jackie shows up, and uh, she's got the the backseat boys with him, Trent Acid and Johnny Cashmere. She's got Red. She's got the SATs. Brian XL. I Brian think. XL. Uh, Quiet Storm. Um, Hamrick. And there was a couple others. A guy named the uh, 
Was it the prodigy? Oh, oh, oh! I, I it wasn't yep. the prodigy. It was the the prophet, maybe. Prophet, and then there was another one. Um, Mike something Preston, Preston. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then there was one other dude uh, that be, he went to the WWE. The nice looking Italian kid. Uh, uh, was it he? Shoot, I'm gonna forget his name. I mean, he wrestled in WWE for a while, but anyway, he she was he was one of her guys. But she would bring this entourage of talent from the East Coast, and she would pay for them to be on shows in the, our area and she kept doing it and then all of a sudden she asked us if we wanted to be part and you, of this you would also get like some kind of name like a new jack or a gangrel yeah. or you know like conan or weird yeah. stuff and i never understood the and I, that's, that was the thing whenever we asked questions uh we were basically told not to ask questions you know we we're like so why is she paying us to wrestle these matches you know they're not even videotaping them they're not even trying to sell them you know like what's the, you know and me and matt always made the joke like are we going to have to have sex with this woman? Like, is that, <laughs> is that part of it? Right. You know, is that one of the requirements? <laughs> and uh, we were always kind of like, I sure hope it doesn't, she doesn't think that this is going to end up in sex, you know? Yeah. And uh, thankfully it never did. You know, that was, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, this woman was around for probably a good year and a half and she was putting good money in our pocket. Like she was paying us way more than we should have made. Uh-huh. And we were wrestling in Pittsburgh. Uh, we were wrestling out towards Philadelphia. Yeah. Cause um, it, it was something like she would pay everybody in her crew, but you would just have to give her some flat fee of nowhere near what it was going to cost to book all those guys. Like you give her like. 500 bucks and she gives you like you know two thousand dollars worth of guys yeah and she had to be losing an incredible amount of money uh because i was on the low end and those other guys were they were making some right. serious cash and uh but anyway that she actually helped in a lot of ways because all of a sudden we started getting booked all over uh what was what was nova's promotion phoenix something wrestling phoenix yeah phoenix championship wrestling in like yeah. jersey or something yeah so they were like trying to book us out there and uh it was just wild. All of a sudden, you know, we we're basically getting paid way more than we deserve for our talent level at that point, and you know, and traveling all over, and and it was just a strange but very welcomed, you know, kind of uh, arrangement. Is it uh, because of Jackie that you roll into uh, uh, really wrestling and meeting with Sonjay the first time, or is that later on? Sonjay, like, did she uh, help you? Kind of. Sonjay, actually, we met in uh, CZW. Yeah, um, we had been there for a show or two, and then he showed up. And I remember in particular, um, we were up in the uh, what's the the roost up there? What's that called? The oh, Eagles, the Eagles nest. nest. Yeah, yes. we were up in the Eagles Nest. We had wrestled already, and I remember Sonjay was going to the ring, and everybody up there was really excited because Nick Gage or uh, Nate Hatred, uh, rest in peace, was uh, going to clothesline him. And I guess he used to do some kind of crazy like shooting star inside out bump. And, uh, yeah, Nate Hatred, like, took his head off. He did this crazy bump, and that was it. That was his debut, you know? Yeah. Uh, but from that point on, yeah, we, be- we became friends and, you know, kind of we're, we're in CZW together for a short period of time. How do you, how do you wind up in CZW? Is it through this Jackie? Yeah, thing? that's what I'm uh, kind of wondering. Uh, Mike Burns. Um, oh. He was taping for NEPW because Jackie was bringing all his talent to NEPW, and Smartmark figured, like, hey, this might be a good seller if we got Red and the SAT and, right. you know, Brian XL and – the backseat boys and stuff. So they started t- taping NEPW and Burns saw it. And uh, CZW was doing, it was called a, a best of the best tournament. And it was really a tryout match. You know, whoever put on the best show that night would get a, a contract. So, uh, you know, Matt and I wrestled each other, which was nice because we had been doing the same match, you know, kind of all over all over the place. So right. it wasn't like... So it was pretty uh, polished at this point. Yeah, we were decent at that point together. You know, yeah. apart, we, we were still, you know, the shits. But like... <laughs> um, you know, we we went out there and we did our match, and uh, 
And thankfully, I think the other nice thing about that show is the other matches were pretty subpar, so it made us look even better. You know, so it's, it's starting to be a theme here. Yeah, backyard yeah. wrestling. Ah, oh, well, you guys were the best. The rest of it was really shit. And then, <laughs> same here. So, uh, you know, we got through the curtain, and uh, I, I, Zandig handed us our CZW T-shirt and uh, told us we were on the roster. And then the next show at the ECW arena, he wanted us, you know, in the next month, and that was going to be a big payday. And it turned out to be the exact same payday I made for our tryout match. You know, the, the, cont- the rest of my time in, in CZW. You're, all cha- you're always chasing that big payday. Yeah. I just wanted to not lose money driving to Philadelphia, and uh, unfortunately, that was the uh, the trend. Um, the only time we ever got money for trans is when uh, Punk dro- jumped in the car with us, and he was out there. He came out to to Philly with us. He wrestled Justice Payne in a in a in a match. I think that's his only uh, CZW match. He he still I think talks about how bad that match is. It was awful. <laughs> yeah. uh, they just uh, they did not click in the locker room. They didn't click in planning the match, and the match did not click in the ring. Um, but that was the only time that we ever got trans money from Zandig was when we had Punk with us. But was okay. So I found some old NEPW results. I'm trying to think of the name that you're trying to think of. Okay. Was it Brian Anthony? No, but he was a good-looking dude from Pittsburgh. Uh, but there's another Italian guy. Here. Matt Vandal? Matt Vandal was an awesome dude, but it wasn't Matt Vandal. Uh, I'm looking at, like, this uh, Chi-Chi Cruz. Was that one of them? No, I forgot about <laughs> Chi-Chi. Chi-Chi was a good guy. Dr. Hearsay? No. Uh, so I'm looking at this this card just to give you kind of an example of the talent that this lady would bring. So you have Brian XL's on this show, Chris Devine. Uh, I don't think she was bringing Prince Juggalo with her. Was Prince Juggalo? No, in the that car? was that was an NEPW homegrown. <laughs> that was homegrown NEPW. Uh, the SATs, uh, Kid Cash, uh, Kid Cash, Kid, Mike Cash. Preston, and Brian Ant. Uh, Mike Preston and Matt Vandal were on everything in her crew. Uh, Orion, Nova, the Amazing Red. Christopher Daniels, Chris Hamrick, and Julio De Niro. That's all she one show. Pa- she paid for all that. Yeah, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah. Besides the Juggalo guy, she paid for every single person. Yeah, on and there's show. a couple other lo- local guys on there. And then I found another one that had, uh, uh, let me see here, the Backseat Boys, Mike Quackenbush, Nick Burke, uh, Brian Anthony, uh, Mike Preston, Matt Vandal, Gutter. Remember Gutter? Oh, I Detroit guy. Yeah, yeah. he was a good guy. Uh, Chris Sabin, Julio De Niro, and Chris Hamrick. So yeah. Julio De Niro was always in the crew. I remember yeah, that. he was in the crew too. Yeah, she paid for all of that. I, if she ever listens to this, please. I, I wish. I'd she, love to get back so out Jackie. on the road. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Uh, you brought up Smart Mark. Uh, and so relevant to this podcast, I have to ask the question, do you remember your first encounter with Smart Mark Gary? I'm sure it was a uh, like a five or six hour IWA Mid South show, um, <laughs> and he was probably in a foul mood. Um, it might have been one of the, like the uh, what was the Necro Butcher Tequila Death Match? Where oh, they had to take were a you shot. there for that? Like, oh, I was the Drunken Death Match or whatever. Yeah, I, I, and this is before I even drank, so I don't know what got into me. Um, you know, so I can't remember who it was. It was Necro and I don't know, yeah. Corp. Corporal Robinson or something. Yeah, probably. But I mean, they're out there, you know, taking these shots of tequila. I think it was like every minute or something that I take a shot yeah. you know, while they're fighting the death match. So it's like pause, take a shot, wrestle, kill each other for a minute, take another shot. Yeah. Anyway, um, Necro comes through the back and, uh, you know, it was a very small locker room. So he's kind of coming towards me. And I don't know if uh, he 
thought I was trying to extend my hand to like shake his hand. So he like reaches out his hand and I mean, he's covered in vomit and blood and like just really in a bad way. And I, <laughs> and, and this is where, uh, I don't know why my filter wasn't on. Cause like I said, I had not drank at that point in my life. And all of a sudden I was just like, Oh no, dude, I don't want AIDS. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, wait a second. Did I just say that to necro butcher? And uh necro butcher looks right at me. He's like, fuck you dude. Or something like that. And I was like, Oh my God, he didn't kill me. Like he just kept walking. And I was like, I'm dead. Like I thought necro butcher was going to kill me. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it was probably one of those nights and Gary probably had a disgusted look on his face uh, that I met Gary. I think, uh, you know, a, a lot of me thinks Biggins and I had this conversation because we've tried to acquire old Cleveland All-Pro footage and things like that. And, you know, I've sent some of some of it off to, you know, see if I can get it fixed up or whatever. But JT was bringing in a lot of guys. And I just think that if he would have figured out at in those early, early 2000s days, if he could have figured out what IWA Mid-South figured out, like he probably would have have a lot more notoriety i think yeah i mean jt was doing the iwa mid-south deathmatch stuff before iwa was doing it you know he was doing no ropes barbed wire he was doing thumbtacks he was bringing in pondo you know he was doing some crazy stuff and i just think uh you know if if he had hooked up with smart mark earlier or if you know he had you know some kind of distribution earlier i think you know he could have been you know, if if not better, you know, as far as uh, notoriety at, at IWA, and I mean the names that came through Cleveland All Pro, it's everybody. Like name yeah. somebody in wrestling. And yeah, they like, were there. They they wrestled for JT, and it's it's just it was amazing when you thought about the guys that you shared, you know, locker rooms with. I remember like me and Matt were wrestling at the uh, I think it was CAPW ten year anniversary, and I had mono, and I was told not to wrestle because my spleen I think they said could have exploded. But anyway, so like uh, Matt and I were wrestling, and we got through the back, and like Harley Race is standing there, and I was I was on that show. I was there. Yeah, and Harley was like, "That's what pro wrestling's all about." And I'm like, "Holy crap!" Like Harley Race just I did, like complimented me, like you know, walking through the curtain. You know, I, I, did, to, I had to drive. I had to drive Raven, and he had uh, just gotten allegedly a, a blowjob in a closet, and uh, then he's like, "Hey kid, I got this uh, dominatrix that's gonna follow your car, all right?" And uh, taking her back to the Marriott, and wow. uh, I was, you know, like. 19 years old or whatever i was like i didn't even know what the fuck that meant <laughs> put your seatbelt on kid yeah it uh there were some wild times for cleveland all pro and uh especially the turner's hall era there was a lot of a lot of stuff going on back there you had uh christy mist was a regular uh you know it was uh it was a pretty wild scene back there and i guess that will be a good way to leave this on a cliffhanger because we're gonna have to do this again and we're gonna have to get into the whole xpw uh nonsense uh, Christy Miss just made me think of that. I All think right. that's a good. I, I suppose we can dig it up. I think I mean, that's a good, uh, 20, good way to end it this this week. Yeah, twenty years worth of uh, wrestling and, and memories. We're not even we're not even close to uh, being where we need to be here modern day in terms of the story with Josh Prohibition. So we will pick it up another time. Hopefully, you guys have enjoyed this, and we'll be tuning in for the rest for Josh Prohibition and John Thorne. My name is Steve Guy, and we'll talk to you next week here on the Card Is Going to Change.